The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome into the QB Sco Show. This is episode 53, brought to you by the Five Poke at SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation. I am your host, Michael Kist. Follow me on Twitter at Michael Kist NFL. That's K-I-S-T. As always, joined by quarterback one in my heart and in our dreams to break down all these quarterbacks coming into the draft around the league. He is Mark Schofield. Follow him on Twitter at Mark Schofield. Mark. You got a plane leaving, but you're here sitting with me to make sure that you get the content out. Yeah. How you doing, brother? I'm doing well. Leaving on a jet plane on my way to Indy for the Combine in a couple of hours here. But still great to be with you, as always. And we will start with a quick little historical reference. It's something you and I were talking about in the DMs. <laughs> and it's not the Blood Eagle. Oh. Okay, I wanted to go to the Blood Eagle, but... <laughs> I can't do that to the gentle listeners. We'll save that for a darker time, a quieter time in the summer when we can hit the listeners with the Blood Eagle reference. But no, it is sort of a spinoff of of that show Vikings, which you've been watching. I bailed on Vikings shortly after the Blood Eagles for (laughs) reasons. But it was the idea of leaders bathed in front of others. And that led us to a discussion about the one and only Winston Churchill. Because – uh, we, we were talking about Churchill's great visit to the White House to visit FDR in the days after Pearl Harbor. And it's important to remember just what Churchill did. Because let's remember, the 67-year-old prime minister, and I'm reading from an article on Smithsonian Magazine, he proved, as they said, an eccentric house guest. Quote, I must have a tumbler of sherry in my room before breakfast. Churchill told the butler, a couple of glasses of scotch and soda before lunch and French champagne and 90-year-old brandy before I go to sleep at night. (laughs) For breakfast, he asked for fruit, orange juice, a pot of tea, quote, something hot, quote, and something cold, which the White House kitchen translated to eggs, toast, bacon, or ham, and two cold meats with English mustard. Mm. Now, FDR and Churchill, they bonded over lunch. They bonded over some late-night drinking sessions. Churchill would keep Roosevelt up until 2 or 3 in the morning drinking brandy, smoking cigars, and ignoring Eleanor Roosevelt's exasperated hints about FDR getting sleep. (laughs) Eleanor wrote later, it was astonishing to me that anyone could smoke so much and drink so much and keep perfectly well. But I want to do close with a bit about bathing because there's this great story about FDR sort of coming to some sort of decision about something and he wanted to go talk to Churchill about it. And he basically like drops in on Churchill as he's bathing and Churchill's in the tub and the the legend has it that he gets up and says 
to FDR. As you can see, I have nothing to hide from the American president and his resplendent, portly, naked goodness. <laughs> That's amazing. That started because yeah. I was I was asking Mark, and I tweeted this out, like, historical dramas are 90% plotting during bath time and 10% is executing those rubber ducky dreams because – Whenever right. you see those historical dramas, there's always like this big elaborate bath, and everyone is oh, that's where that's where everyone it's like the meeting house. That's where all the big decisions right. are made, just butt naked in a bath. But then you you mentioned church, and I was like, wow, I guess that really was a thing for a long time. I mean, it's better than I think it was Cato that went to Egypt. Basically, boy, the king was there, and they they had such low regard for Egypt at the time that he took a laxative and yeah. basically held court while they're like you know pooping it all out. Just amazing, like nothing like poop diplomacy. Yeah, I love it. So that is our historical reference. Let, let's get to uh, some of the combine news. So basically, what we're gonna do is we're gonna go over some of these combine guys. What's important for them? What's not? The the major thing that we're gonna talk about here right up front definitely isn't all that important, but we'll get to that. And then possibly if we have time, we'll talk about some of these free agent quarterbacks then and where they might fit because free agency is going to be starting in the next uh, three weeks here so it is coming up fast on us but coming up fast as well as the NFL draft and players are starting their weigh-ins at the combine we got wide receivers tight ends and quarterbacks and for quarterbacks as is with every year seems like we have to kind of recalibrate what matters and what doesn't and the one thing that stuck out from the measurements today as we record this on Monday morning was Joe Burrow comes in, at, I mean, at a healthy 6'3 and a half, 221 is what you're looking at. And then you see the hand size and the hand yeah. size is only nine inches. Then you look at a guy like Jordan Love from Utah State who came in at a nearly 6'4, 224 pounds, looking great, 10 and a half inch hands, massive Mark, does that close the gap from Joe Burrow to Jordan? I can already see the look on your face. Does that close the gap? No, it doesn't. And I love quarterback hand size day because it's just the timeline is replete with overreactions. Like there is an account right now as we record highlighting other quarterbacks with nine-inch hands. Ryan Tannehill, Jared Goff, Jimmy Clausen, Christian Hackenberg, Sean Mannon. Okay, Mm. so people are starting to overreact to the idea that Joe Burrow has small hands and it's going to push him down draft boards, whereas Jordan Love and I think it was Brian Lewerke who measured in with like 10 and 5 eighths. I mean, those (laughs) things are like some like mitts. We're not going to move guys wildly up and down boards based on hand size. Now, I do think it is important that like all of the data we are going to get over the next week or so, you then use it. So you go back to the film. An example, I wrote a piece for Matt Waldman's site last year. We probably even talked about it on the show or in syndication at this point about the hand size measurement and when it does and when it doesn't matter. Last year, two guys both measured in with nine inch hands, Drew Locke and Brett Rippon. And we all know Mm. I was dying on Brett Rippon Hill. But when those measurements come in, you go back to the film, right? And you put on Drew Locke and you watch weather games. You watch him in the pocket. Does he have fumble issues? His last regular season game was against Arkansas on a cold, rainy, sleeting type of day. No issues with ball security. He's still slinging it. Whereas Brett Rippon, you see fumbles in the pocket. You see him. They had their Mountain West championship game against Fresno State on a snowy and icy day. They turned into a run, one-dimensional passing team last year because they didn't trust him to throw in the weather. And so that's why it matters. You go back to the film and you see, okay, does the hand size actually matter or not? With Joe Burrow. 
Are you seeing instances of him like fumbling the ball away? Are you seeing him cough it up when he's hit? Are you seeing him struggle to push throws? No. Yeah. Because he handles the pocket extremely well. He moves around with the pocket with that other that left hand sort of glued Valkroed, that two-headed monster, two-handed monster. Yeah. So it's not an issue. And are we gonna move Jordan Love upwards because he has good hands? And ignore the fact that he threw 17 picks and as he told us down in Mobile, I made a ton of mistakes and I need to learn from it. No. Like it drives you back to the film. Same thing when Ruggs runs like a 4-3-2. Like, right. go back to the film and verify. Yes, you'll see the dude's fast. Like, <laughs> take this all in a, within a grain of salt. Go back to the film. Apply the context to it. Don't lose your minds over it. I know I'm speaking into the vortex here because everybody's still losing their minds about it. And people we know, like, and trust yep. are doing that on the timeline right now. What about, so, I mean, honestly, I, I agree with you. It doesn't, you know, close the gap or take him up a board or raise Jordan Love. But Jake Fromm is off my board officially. Eight and seven eights on my hands? <laughs> that That's is just, small. I can deal with nine, eight and seven eights. I just, I can't. That's I can't. small. We'll I, <laughs> here's where I am, I am on, like, I tiered the quarterbacks, and I've got, yeah. in that first tier, it's Burrow and Tua. And then the next uh-huh. tier, I've got... You know, you, you've got Herbert, you've got Eason, you've got Love, and I put Fromm into that second tier for this reason. Really? Out of all these quarterbacks we're talking about, there might be that guy that has that low ceiling, high floor, long-term spot starter, backup type mentality and trait set, and that's Fromm. And I just, I can guarantee you that at least one, if not more, NFL teams are going to look at him and say, he's not going to get me fired. Okay, if we draft him sometime in the second round, say we're the Chicago Bears and we need somebody that can come in and run an offense and make smart decisions and throw the ball and get it out on time in rhythm to the right receiver, that might be your guy. Like there, there, there are going to be boards. You said it. The, he's off Bruce Arians' board to begin with before the hand size came in. Bruce Arians is looking at him and saying, I'm not drafting this kid. Like he can't run my offense. But a guy like Sean Payton. A guy like Matt Nagy, a guy like Bill Belichick, they might look at him and say, he's not going to make me look stupid. He can run our offense. Like he can make some mock decisions with the football. Yeah, the hand size might question people. And he has had some fumbling issues. Again, when you go back to the film, you'll see it. But I still think the NFL is going to like him. You wrote this piece up for uh, BatWaldmanRSP.com. And you kind of mentioned each each place where it matters for each quarterback. And for Jake Fromm, you said the whiteboard. Now, is yeah. that part of the reason why a guy like Bruce Arians might pass on somebody like Jake Fromm? Or is, is there something different going on with Fromm from the, from the mental perspective of the game? I think he's going to be able to walk into a hotel suite, take that you know dry erase marker, and start drawing on the board. The stuff he was asked to do pre-snap, adjusting protections, making checks, moving guys around. A lot of these other guys, including guys that went to the Senior Bowl, guys that have played a lot, didn't have those responsibilities at the line of scrimmage. And so again, it gets to that whole point that a team is going to look at him and say, He's not going to do stupid things. He's not going to get mm. me fired. He's not going to be a reason why I'm out, you know, selling the house and looking for a new job in two years. And so I think that's a chance for him to put some issues and concerns that teams might have about him to rest a bit. You know, they might be worried about the hand size. It's like, okay, well, if you're going to talk to me for hands that are an eighth of an inch too small, look at all the other things I can do. Look at all the things I was asked to do in that Georgia offense. Look at the kind of things, the designs we were running, how it fits with what you're doing schematically. And yeah, if you're still worried about my hand size, okay, go draft Brian Lewerke and his catcher mid hands. But when you want to see somebody that can come in and run an offense, this is what I can do. Let's let's go into Joe Burrow about what's important for him. You put the podium 
And, yeah. and I'll put it to you this way. Saying the right things to the media for Burrow is going to be hard because it seems like we're holding him to a weird standard compared to what other quarterbacks have said in the past about, you know, that when they're going to be eventual first round picks and, and kind of locks because there's this whole thing debate going around is Joe Burrow saying the right things and we're reading the tea leaves and you know we're we're reading the entrails of the animals as we sacrifice right. to the quarterback football gods and saying oh it doesn't sound like Burrow wants to be in Cincinnati is he gonna is he just gonna sit like what what is he gonna do in that situation are, are we making way too much of the situation with Joe Burrow when it comes to Cincinnati because I don't think he said anything that really stands out to me that says he doesn't want to be there. Of course. Of course, we'll, A, we're making out way too much of it. And B, he hasn't said anything wrong. I think right. you're exactly right. And as I wrote, look, for those of us, you, me, others that are rational human beings and decision makers, the 99% of people that are out there, everything Joe Burrow has said is fine. And if he wants to say that he's got leverage, yeah, he does got a little bit of leverage because he could theoretically force them to do something different. He could pull an Eli man and whatever. And good for him because – He's the best quarterback in the draft right now. And I think everybody sort of is in agreement, hand size, you know, or not. But the 99% of us aren't NFL decision makers. And I included a tweet from a national writer who shall be named nameless because I'm not going to ban him, Pete Presco, that (laughs) basically said that he was saying the wrong things. And that's the sort of old school NFL mentality. Like the guys that are going to be making the the decisions, the guys that are going to be writing the name on the card and turning it in, the guys who are going to be writing Joe Burrow's eventual NFL paychecks, they want to hear the right things. So even though you and I and everybody listening to the show think it's fine what he's saying, he hasn't said anything wrong and we're idiots for even talking about it. We're not making decisions. Those that are, they want to hear him say the right things. They want to hear him be a good soldier. They want to hear him, you know, have that do your job mentality. And I just want to go to a team. And, you know, if if they're the team that picks me, I'm going to make them better. And I just want to do everything I can, even if it means holding a clipboard for the first three years, which, by the way, he has actually said in the past couple of weeks, but yeah. it's still not enough. So the it doesn't matter what he does in meeting rooms. It doesn't matter what he does during throwing sessions, 40, bench, whatever. The podium tomorrow, 9 a.m., is going to be the hottest ticket in Indy. And interestingly enough, I think he and Tua are on the podium at the same time. So it's going to be fascinating to see what Kevin Davidson from Princeton (laughs) set up at a table, just sitting there probably playing with a fidget spinner because nobody's going to want to hear from anybody else but Burrow and Tua at the same time. That's crazy that they did it at the same time that they would do that. Yeah, unless I'm wrong, but I think they're at the right exact same time. So I've already been told I've got the digital recorder in one hand. I'm going to just lay it on one podium and race yeah. over to the other with the phone. And, and you know, hopefully somebody doesn't steal one or the other. But yeah, it's going to be fun. That's amazing. That's crazy. Media, by the way, sounds terrible for the combine when you, when you start to get oh, into the workout days. And you're going to have yeah. deadlines. They're doing the on-field drills that like they're starting at eight. Like well, you're going to be up. That's why <sighs> me wheels up out of Indy seven Thursday night. Because I what's like the point? Yeah. What's the point? Yeah. You're, like, you're just going to yeah. be watching it from the media room. Doesn't matter. You're not yeah. on the field for the drugs. I could watch that from the plane. So we've been kind of talking about things that are going to freak people out on the timeline that might matter less than what we think. And I think a big one that's going to be coming up is one of the on-field drills for the quarterback, or at least what they do on the field throwing to these wide receivers, because QB Velocity Day is oh, coming. Oh, God. <laughs> you put this out there for Jacob Eason. You said the most important part was the radar gun. But I think we all remember – well, maybe we don't. But, you know, the whole thing about Deshaun Watson and his low 49. miles per hour 
average on his bar, the 49 miles per hour at the combine. And people took that and, and made that to seem like Watson didn't have the necessary or requisite arm strength to be a quarterback in the NFL. That is something that is coming. I feel like Joe oh, yes. Burrow, who, you know, if he throws, if he decides to do on field drills, and I'm not, I'm not sure if he has or not or whatever, but just for an example, if Joe Burrow goes out there and, you know, Burrow doesn't have the strongest arm in the world, same with, same with Eason, and they end up throwing like super, super slow, but it really doesn't matter in this, you know, controlled environment where they're not trying to go out there and show off their arm. What's, what's, what's the point of the radar gun on the quarterbacks? Cause it just doesn't seem like it seems like a, a just noise. It seems like just white noise in all this. It's, Absolutely noise. Now, it matters for Easton because in the sense that he has a big arm and he's going to have a chance, I think, to show that off. And it's part of the reason why a team like Tampa Bay and Bruce Aarons, they're going to like him. And so, you know, I put that in there is because, look, he's going to be able to show his arm talent. But let me remind the gentle listeners, ball velocity last year, okay? The top guy hit 58 on throwing to his left and 59 on throwing to his right. Then the guy behind him, 59 to his left, 56 to his right. Then the guy behind him, 58 to his left, 56 to his right. And I'll add in this next guy. So we'll have the top four, 57 to his left, 52 to his right. You know who those four quarterbacks are? Will Greer, Mm -hmm. Brett Rippon, Mm -hmm. Clayton Thorson, and Nick Fitzgerald. (laughs) Okay? I mean, I rest my case. (laughs) Okay. And you want to go back a couple of years to 2018. Okay. Josh Allen, 62 and 62. We get it. The guy is a cannon. Nobody's ever questioned that. It's more the placement and the accuracy and the decision making. Then Baker at 59 and 60. Then Josh Rosen at 57 and 59. Then Tanner Lee from Nebraska, the interception machine down in Mobile, 56, 57. Kirk Banker. 55, 56, and then Danny Etlin, 54, 56, who's now, I think, playing tight end, Mm. okay? So it doesn't really matter. And I remember Deshaun Watson, his velocity day, the timeline was like 1917, Verdun all over again. (laughs) It was an absolute war zone. But it's, again, if you want to read into it, you look back at the film, what was he doing? He was throwing a lot of touch routes to the sideline, a lot of corners, a lot of deeper stuff using touch. If you're going to draft him to run nothing but dig routes where he's attacking the middle of the field, then sure, maybe he's not your guy, but it wasn't what he was asked to do at Clemson. So again, all this stuff, it's noise. You take the bits of data, you look at it and you think, okay, where can this guy fit in? Does it back up what you've seen on film or not? But fall velocity, again, if you're looking through history, who's the guy a couple years ago that just Brian Bennett? Yeah. From Southeast Louisiana in 2015, the Mariota Winston year, he comes out, drops a 60 on the timeline, and people are like, I guess I got to watch this kid. And he's like a flexible option quarterback. Like, let's all calm down. That's amazing. So, yeah, I mean, a, a lot to look into and a lot of white noise as we get into this thing. Obviously, the most important part for guys are, are the medicals. Like, for instance, Tua, yep. he's got to come back clean. Uh, Kelly Bryan is, is another one as well. And then the interviews, Justin Herbert, you know, that's going to be a big place for him to convince teams that he's worth the top five selection. Same thing with, you know, Jordan Love and all these other guys that are trying to work their way up the board in the first round. So quarterbacks get nice and desperate for him. Maybe maybe a team like the Chicago Bears looking for a guy Mm -hmm. in the second round. Maybe they'll find their gem there. Man, I I was going through Taylor Gabriel stuff because he just became a a cap casualty in in Chicago. And boy, did I miss Mitch Trubisky film. (laughs) Gabriel is at a very nice like wide receiver three option. Yeah. Like if you've got two guys on the outside, you put him in the slot, man, the number of times that 
He was running that bender from right to left out of a four yeah. verts, three by one. And Trubisky just couldn't find it with a flashlight and yeah. a pair of, you know, telephone glasses or whatever. Just couldn't <laughs> find him at all. Ridiculous. Yeah, insane. So, yeah, Gabriel's going to be a guy I'm going to be writing up for BleedingGreenNation.com, so keep an eye out for that. I've recently just written up Brashad Perriman. I did some Prince of Mukamara, who I'm down for for a, for like a one- or two-year deal, just as like a stopgap bridge quarterback for the Eagles, so they don't have to spend $1,000 million on two different quarterbacks, as it, it might be looking like uh, they're, they're targeting Darius Slay and looking at Byron Jones and whatnot. So we're going to keep you updated on all that on BleedingGreenNation.com, including this feed as well. When we come back, maybe we'll talk some more about quarterbacks, since that's what we do on this show. Hey, this is Scott Galloway, author, professor, entrepreneur, and most importantly, host of the Prop G podcast. We got a special series running on right now called The Future of Work, where I answer all your questions on, surprise, The Future of Work. Questions including, what are we missing when we work remotely? Or how do we handle work-life balance when a major opportunity comes knocking? From the provocative to the technical, we're offering insights you won't want to miss. So tune in to The Future of Work, a Pod special sponsored by Canva. You can find it on the Pod wherever you get your podcasts. Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And we are back here on the QB Sco Show, episode 53, SB Nation and Bleeding Green Nation, bringing it to you. Michael Kist here with Mark Schofield. And Mark, we'll just kind of leave this one open for some quarterback takes for you because I really didn't. I was a bad producer. I didn't send you the sheet. I didn't say, hey, second half of the show, we can do this. But what I'm kind of what I'm kind of looking at is with these free agent quarterbacks, what do you which one do you think signs where and, and how does the how does that mess with like the first round of the draft potentially or even the second round for some of these teams that are just looking for someone to come in and compete? What do we know about Ryan Tannehill? Like what's the current landscape here as we reach free agency with these quarterbacks? Yeah, I mean, it's so weird because as we get ready for the combine and we start thinking about mock drafts and things like that, and you look at it, I know I've said it on this show and elsewhere, you look at, say, that stretch 12, 13, 14, you've got the Raiders, you've got Indianapolis, you've got Tampa Bay, we assume Mm. they might be in the mix for a quarterback. Even earlier in the draft, the Chargers at six, Carolina at seven, and we think, you know, those are teams that might take a quarterback. Heck, Detroit at three, you know, and that's putting Cincinnati aside as well in Miami. That all sounds great right now. But once these quarterback dominoes start falling, like if Phillip Rivers goes to, say, Tampa Bay, they don't need a quarterback at 14. Like they can wait and get one later. If Cam Newton stays in Carolina, maybe they'd say, okay, we've got Newton and Greer. We can wait on quarterback at seven. And so the expectations are sitting here right now that, oh, we're going to see those quarterbacks early and guys will get pushed down boards. The dominoes have to start falling. And, you know, I don't know if Brady's the first big domino or Teddy Bridgewater is, or maybe a Marcus Mariota or Cam Newton. But, you know, now that Breeze has decided to stay in New Orleans, that frees up Bridgewater to go elsewhere. And I guess Phillip Rivers too. Once these dominoes start falling, I think then, you know, when we get into April, this is going to feel a lot different. The idea of five quarterbacks in the top 14 might not be the reality that it seems to be right now. Now, as for Tannehill, you know, I think 
he's probably going to get a falls type deal. You know, not, yeah. you know, like the one that he got last year, like four years, like 88 or so million, you know, something that gives them a bit of flexibility if it doesn't quite pan out. But, you know, Tennessee doesn't have a ton of holes. You know, you look at their roster, they bring they bring Derrick Henry back. They've got decent cap space. They bring Tannehill back. You know, they could go edge. They could go tight end. Yeah. You know, they could go a bunch of different directions at 29. You know, maybe they go and get a quarterback at 29 if one of these guys falls. Like, say the board shakes out where – You've got quarterbacks, veteran quarterbacks moving. A guy like Jordan Love falls to 29. A guy like Eason falls to 29. Maybe mm-hmm. they're like, okay, we'll protect ourselves against Tannehill, you know, sort of busting out on us with a quarterback at 29. But it, the, the feel for this draft and this entire like preseason process is going to be a lot different come April. I have a question on, on two different guys that I've kind of watched in my travels as we've gone here. I think we know how I feel about Mitch Trubisky and what the Bears need to do after going to some Taylor Gabriel film and refreshing myself. Right. Another guy that I was watching was a guy that you've mentioned a few times. I was watching Broussard Perriman, and, and as such, I was watching Jameis Winston. And just the targets to Perriman was like, they were like the biggest roller coaster. Like Jameis Winston's watching like, all 22 in a funhouse mirror. It is it is wild how up and down this guy can be, but the like the high points are super enticing. I'm talking like they had like like two men and he's running the seam route over the over the linebacker in between the two safeties. Like he can put it anywhere, but I think that's part of his problem. He's got that confidence and will totally disregard that underneath the fender as he has throughout his career. What, what do you think personally? Like, if, if you're in the Tampa Bay Buccaneers organization, what is your confidence level that Jameis Winston can get it figured out in this system with Bruce Arians? Because to be fair to Jameis, yeah, he made some boneheaded throws. Also, working first first new year in a system with Arians, do you think there might be something in store bigger for Jameis next year that isn't as wildly as frustrating? I think the potential is certainly there because I think from a mentality perspective, you mentioned that sort of aggressive nature, that willingness to challenge windows, that confidence in himself where he believes he can put the ball anywhere on the field and attack any sort of coverage. That fits with what Bruce Arians wants from his quarterback. And so I think if you're Tampa Bay, you look around and yeah, maybe Jacob Eason is Tyson. Maybe a, a Justin Herbert is Tyson. Maybe Philip Rivers. Okay, there's a, that sort of similar aggressive mentality, but you can sort of lock up a young quarterback on his second deal, but then hedge against that with some picks later in the draft. And so, I think if you're Tampa Bay, you give Jameis Winston sort of a a shot at sort of a prove it type deal. You know, I think he makes the best sense given this landscape, given the draft quarterbacks like. You know, are you going to want to go up to get a guy? Are you going to wait and see somebody foster you at 14 and then, you know, bridge him with Philip Rivers? I don't think that makes a ton of sense. Like, you've got a nice young nucleus. You've got receivers and Chris Godwin and Mike Evans that you can sort of build around. Do they try to get something out of O.G. Howard to get some value for him via trade? Please send him to New England. I am begging you. <laughs> but there are ways that you can sort of build this offense around Jameis Winston. Year two in that system, I think he has a ton of potential. So I'd roll with Jameis, as crazy as that might sound to some. Yeah, I mean, honestly, what are you going to do, rebuild? Because the GM that they have there, Jason Light, has, I mean, that guy has nine lives because he should have been fired yeah. like four times now. Do you think he's going to be that patient to be able to sit around and let's say, let's develop the second round quarter, blah, 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 blah. So I think Jameis might be the answer for him. We'll, we'll see how uh, patient Bruce Arians wants to be uh, later on in his coaching career as well. The, la- the last guy, and this is something I've been fighting about with people on, uh, but not really fighting. I mean, most people agree. 
that Josh Allen isn't a very good quarterback from the Buffalo Bills, or at least didn't have the type of year that Bills fans are saying. Because we we do this every single year, and, and the resp- and the the constant response to to Josh Allen when I give him some criticism is, well, he's ten and six, and he led his team to the playoffs. Well, that's great. So let's right. go back in time. 2017, Bortles goes 10 and 6 as a starter. He was one half away from the Super Bowl, right? 2018, mm-hmm. Mitch Trubisky goes 11 and 3 as a starter. Made the playoffs one and done. Yep. Right? And put him in a position to win against the Eagles and all that stuff. We, we, we know. Right. 2019, Josh Allen goes 10 and 6 against a cupcake schedule, takes his team to the playoffs. Now, what do all three of these different scenarios have in common? All three of them had top three points per game defenses that kept them in games. The reason Josh Allen has so many game-winning drives, number one, I think he's mentally tough. Um, Playoff game was kind of weird, but overall, Josh isn't a guy that has like the conscience to be able to fold in those situations, at least throughout the regular season. He showed that, but the reason he was in those games was because he was bad for most of them, and the defense kept him in the game to go win it at the end. A lot of people want to say, oh, well, he improved in all these different areas. and he, no, Yeah, well, he improved from very poor to poor when you look at when you look at the numbers and you and you look at something majorly concerning is the fact that he was 35th out of 35th with adjusting completion percentage on deep balls the worst most inaccurate quarterback throwing the deep ball and it's not close and when you talk about just overall all over the field 33rd for 38 in that same metric with all throws combined i think he is a fatally flawed quarterback that i have serious concerns about why are bills fans not as concerned as i am is it because they haven't had a playoff win in 2025 what is it I mean, I think part of it is the he gets us mentality, right? Yeah. The going to Sabres games, you know, landing and taking photos and selfies with the guys at the fence line at the airport. Like, they love the kid and the kid is bought into being a member of the community, which is great and does sort of matter in a sense. But here's something that, like, I'm struggling with. This idea that if we put ourselves back in time prior to his draft and said – After his second season, he is going to be best at time and rhythm throws and going to be awful on the deep ball. What would you have said? You said, what is this a different? Did they move the the edge Josh Allen to quarterback? Like, are we talking about a different guy here? I never would have imagined that in a million years. But that's where he's strongest right now is Brian Dable has done a very good job of turning them into more of a time and rhythm based quarterback. Mm. And so I guess if you want to take a sort of glass half full approach as a Bills fan, you want to say, look, he's going to have another year in this system. They're sort of making him into more of a rhythm based passer, an air raid West Coast type of guy. Like, okay. But the guy you drafted seventh overall was the guy that was going to push it down the field. The guy that was going to be the Coriel-type deep right. passer that was going to take the top off the defense and force you to defend a lot of scrimmage to 80 yards downfield because the guy is an absolute host. Remember, 62-62 on that radar guard out in Indy. <laughs> we just went through those numbers. Yeah, It hasn't come together. So, okay, like you can do that, but you can get guys to run those types of systems later in the draft. Right. Like, that don't need so, so much development like, in that one singular area right. like that he still does. Like Jake Fromm, <laughs> who we were just talking about. Yeah. And so, like, I get it. I get why they sort of want to defend their guy. But I think reasonable Bills fans and those that follow and cover the team will admit, look, there are areas that he still hasn't figured out yet. And there are areas that we thought were going to be his strengths. Yeah. And it's just, it's so weird watching him go to that rhythm type passer. And he did well in that area. It's just, yeah. if you can't push the ball down the field at a baseline right. level, I have serious concerns That's about what problem. you can do as an offense. And as such, the Bills didn't do very much as an offense. I mean, the defense right. kept them in 
all of those games. And I think I think we all recognize that. What was also a thinning combo with those other two teams, Blake Bortles and the Jaguars and the Chicago Bears and Mitchell Trubisky? That was the whole get a young quarterback on his rookie deal, build up the defense, right. and you'll win with the defense, right? right? Yep. Neither one of those teams won a Super Bowl. And now we're seeing Bortles is now in LA. Yeah. You know, we know Trubisky, they said that window is closing. Like, yeah. you got to either produce or you're going to miss out on the opportunity. And here we are entering year three now of Josh Allen, and we are still wondering. Yep. So, Bills fans, let me know how you feel at Michael Kist, yeah. NFL, KISD. at Benjamin Solak. If I don't have you already muted, because I think I've got half the fan base <laughs> muted already. All right, Mark, that's going to do it for the QB Sco Show. Thank you so much for joining me. Any last words for the gentle listeners before you head off over uh, to, on the plane to Indy? Bloody Eagle, kids. Just Google it. That's all I'll say. <laughs> Google the Blood Eagle. We'll catch you next week. Have fun with that. Yeah.